Welcome back to the Sit and Ponder podcast, where we seek to think more deeply about the scriptures and to ask the tough questions. Take a minute, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get ready to dive in. Today, you guys get the special treat of hearing me record this while I have COVID-19. Today, we're going to start a mini-series on the next big aspect of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Many might argue that this is perhaps one of the most transcendent qualities of a follower of Jesus that one can possess. So let's start by taking a look at John 13. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a huge text, folks. In this text, Jesus is specifically speaking at least about the disciples expressing love for one another. It's a command. But pay attention to the manner in which they ought to love one another. The manner is just as Jesus loved them. Pause for a second, folks. Don't pass over that. This is perhaps one of the loftiest commands ever written down or spoken. That we are to love just as Jesus loved. That's about the highest bar that I can ever imagine setting for any command. In our society, the word love is thrown around so casually. This text really has no meaning apart from a proper definition of love. What is love for one another? How is it different than normal human love? Is love just a feeling of deep affection for someone, or is it something more? If love is commanded, isn't it implied that at times we won't feel like doing it, else we would do it naturally? We're going to break this disciple distinctive, I'm going to call it, of loving one another into several podcasts. There is no way we can do justice to discussing what this loving of one another looks like in one short podcast. Today we will tackle a first large idea about what it means to love one another. Here's this idea. Loving one another means we initiate with others and pursue them. Catch that again, folks. Loving one another means we initiate with others and pursue them. Let's start at the very beginning of human existence to illustrate this. According to the scripture, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God by eating the fruit that was forbidden. Right after they did it, they were fully aware that they had screwed up. They immediately felt ashamed and guilty. And let's look at what they did. That's where we're going to pick up now in Genesis chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's pause there for a second. So they knew they were naked, which means that they felt ashamed for what they had done. 
They sewed fig leaves to try to cover up their nakedness and their shame. They tried to cover themselves, and they made loincloths. When they heard God, they hid because they didn't want to be around God. They knew that their relationship with God had been broken. They had disobeyed him. They had broken trust with him and loyalty. And so they hid themselves. So what we have here is a situation where God and humankind had a broken relationship with each other after once having an unhindered relationship with one another. And they did what we tend to do. To hide and cover. Hide and cover. When we do something wrong. But look what it says. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And before this, he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. God immediately, after this brokenness, began to pursue and to initiate with the man and the woman while they were hiding and trying to cover up for their wrongdoing. God pursued them and spoke to them and called them out. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That's what Adam responded to him. So God walked into the garden pursuing them and calling for them. Even though they sinned and violated trust and broke loyalty, he sought them. He initiated. That was the first big initiation after the fall. But remember that God's the one who initiated creation. God wanted to have a relationship with humankind. And so he created them. That's an initiation. He made a universe. He made a world. He made an earth. He created fellowship between them. God initiated a creation. And then even after the fall, God initiates again. God is the perpetual initiator and pursuer of us. Even when we're hiding and ashamed for the things we've done wrong. John wrote about this idea as well in 1 John. It says, we love because he first loved us. You see the initiation there? Why do we love Jesus? Because Jesus first loved us. We just saw one illustration of that in Genesis where God initiated through creation. Then he initiated after the fall to restore the relationship. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we, he begins by saying, we love because he first loved us. So God initiated, Jesus initiated with the 12th, with John. And this is why we love is because he first loved us. So if we're going to love one another just as Jesus loved us, then one of the things we have to do is initiate with others because that's what Jesus did with us. It was the initiation of Jesus that began our relationship with God after the fall. He dwelt among us as a man. He fellowshiped with the twelve and others physically he ate with them, camped with them in the wilderness, socialized with them, served them, taught them, called them to follow him, etc. He was a pursuer. If we're going to love others just as Jesus loved the 12, then we're going to do likewise. He traveled around preaching, 
healing, casting out evil, he came to us. He came from heaven as a deity and took on human form. If we're to love just as Jesus loved, then we too must be initiators and pursuers of others. Romans 5 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He initiated even death, death on a cross. He came down to die. If you study and read the Old Testament, you'll find that God is perpetually initiating with Israel and with other nations. He's a pursuer of those whom he loves. Check out the initiating heart of Jesus in Luke 15. The story reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees are irritated that Jesus is pursuing sinners. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. You see the heart of Jesus here, guys. Part of the heart of the love of Jesus is that he pursues people who are lost, who are hurting, who are downtrodden. He's an initiator. He goes after. He doesn't wait for them to come to him for help. Jesus is not like a a clinic set up in the middle of the wilderness that everybody comes out to when they need help. He's a pursuer. He's the initiator. God's the initiator. And if we're going to love as he did, we'll be similar. This text is about associating with sinners, but it also expresses the initiating posture that Jesus had. He invited them. He reached out to them. With his 12, he sought them out, invited them to follow, washed their feet, befriended them. He was the initiator primarily, not them. This is a way that he showed love for them and that he shows love for us. Let's take a look at a couple micro-stories about initiation and pursuing someone. We're going to look at Job's friends here for a second. Now, Job's friends in the book of Job do get a few things wrong, but I want us to recognize that in in one respect, they were very good friends and showed love. After Job had suffered the loss of all of his children and almost all of his possessions, he and was facing some extreme physical torment with boils all over his body. This is how his friends responded. Job 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground in the dirt seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Look at this beautiful initiation and pursual out of concern and love. 
Their friend was destitute. He had lost all of his children, most of his possessions. He was covered with boils all over his body. They went to him. They made an appointment to go to him together. They initiated. They inserted themselves out of genuine concern. They sat with him in the dirt. They tore their clothes and presumably fasted. In that, you see their heart. You see that they care, that it's not just dutiful. There's a passion to it. There's like an actual genuine love. They sat with him in the dirt for seven days. They didn't even speak. They didn't even know what to say maybe at that point. So often have I watched people in the church hurt alone while believers freeze and don't know what to do. We don't pick up the phone to call. We don't mourn with them or go to them or express any kind of passion for them. We don't sit with them for extended periods of time, even if we have nothing to say. And quite frankly, we often don't feel much for them while they bear their burden. We're not grieving with them, mourning with them, weeping with them, tearing our clothes, <laughs> sprinkling dust on our heads toward heaven, like Job's friends. Let me ask him questions of you. Are you out of sight, out of mind and heart with people? When they're not around, do you forget about them? Do you not care about them? Are you generally callous toward people? other than your close family or the people that you would naturally love without Christ? Do you often feel compelled to call people, to visit people, to check up on people, to initiate with other people, to invite them to your house, to ask them how they're doing, to pray for them when they're not around, to pray for them when they are around, to call them, to offer to pray for them? How much of a pursuer and initiator are you in your everyday life with the people that God has asked you to love and the brothers and sisters that God has placed in your life. In this next text I'm going to look at, Paul was in prison writing to Timothy, one of his mentees. Look at what he says about how people treated him from the places where he planted churches and ministered. Paul says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me or deserted me among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy, however, to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant mercy for him on that day. And you well know all the surface he rendered at Ephesus. Paul talks about how all these people who he had ministered to and known and traveled among deserted him when he went to prison. They were ashamed of him. But this one dude earnestly sought him out and pursued him. He was an initiator. He was a pursuer. He had the heart of Jesus. He had the heart of God that we see from the beginning of creation to the end, that we see in Jesus in the way he lived his life, loved his disciples, loved his neighbors pursued the lost. He had a pursuing and initiating nature like Jesus Onesiphorus did. And he went and sought after Paul. And he looked for him earnestly and he found him. 
And he even references, and he says, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This wasn't abnormal for Onesiphorus. He was doing this where he lived in Ephesus as well. He was characterized by this type of nature of being a pursuer and an initiator. I love this text with Paul. So many believers just ignored Paul's suffering and plight. Why? Maybe they were too afraid to visit him for fear of also being persecuted or being caught. Maybe, like it says, most of them were ashamed of his chains. Do we earnestly search for and initiate and pursue other believers? Are you a pursuer and initiator? Do you think about people and feel things about them when they're not near? And does this draw you to initiate with them? Have you ever sat in the dirt with someone for days when they're suffering? Do others always need to call you? The Good Samaritan parable says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. They both chose not to pursue. They both chose not to initiate. They were on a mission. They had other things going on, other things to do, on their way somewhere else. They weren't moved by compassion, it doesn't seem. They weren't moved by any desire in their heart to do anything active. But then what happens? A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. We could spend a lot of time on this parable, folks, but I want you to note the first two passers-by were callous and busy, but the Samaritan initiated, went toward the man who needed love, shown. The others walked by. I have found that we are either initiators who are moved by the gravitational pull of love, or we are callous folks who, if we serve or help, do so only out of duty but it is eventually shown that it is just that, callous duty. Are you drawn to initiate or to pursue your brothers and sisters and others in your everyday life? Are you pursuing brothers and sisters and others around you out of a motive of passion and kindness and love? Or are you on some kind of autopilot to fill your day with self-gratifying endeavors that really just serve yourself or your immediate loved ones, which could just be another version of serving yourself, actually. Next time, we'll discuss another significant aspect of loving one another, which is love longs to show mercy and forgiveness. This is your host, Tom Wells, signing off again. I look forward to continuing our series on how the disciple trait of loving one another manifest itself in our everyday lives.